When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, it's another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's Monday afternoon. It's football and random things. As always, football and random things presented by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. When it comes to selecting your seed corn partner, you've got a choice to make. At Wiffles Hybrids, we've made a choice too. A choice to remain independent, a choice to remain farm family owned, a choice to stay American. So when it's time to make your choice, make a statement, plant your independence, plant Wiffles. Uh, Recording as always in the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studio. Hello, Jeff Woody. Welcome to the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studio. It's good to be back in person. It's good to be back in person. You see, we've added some, some more sound dampening technology. So for those of you that are really audiophiles, these ones were even, I think, suggested by you. Yeah. The, uh, if I, I myself am an audiophile and I enjoy making sure that there is as little resonance as possible when speaking. And I feel like we've done a decent job there. There's still some room to work, but we've done a decent job. And in person, it's just so much easier to have conversations because I can, because I can see your sarcastic eye rolls live, real time. It's just easier to get the timing. Too. Like I can tell easier when you're done talking when, when, well, I mean, you can just get up and go to the bathroom usually like yeah. when you're at, at your home. I mean, just put it on mute, go make a hot pocket. Last week when you were talking about, uh, reading coverages and the different, uh, ways that you decide where you're going to throw the football based on the coverage. I think you talked for five straight minutes. That was one of those scenarios where I think I, I, I literally do think I was sitting there doing other things while I was listening to you talk because I just knew I was like, eventually he's going to run out of gas and I'm going to hear it. And then it's my turn again. You know, it's like, but I'm just going to let him roll, do his thing. It's like watching a toddler. Like they're just they're that you just, they just got a sucker or yeah. like a, a cookie or something. And they just have a sugar buzz and they're just running around in the backyard. And it's just at some point, they're just going to run out of steam. And I just, basically just handed the kid the iPad and said, go to town. Hey man, just. It, just don't break it. Just go to whatever. I'll, I'll be inside. Mama's going to go have a mosa. Uh, we were having a good conversation about uh, about the Big 12's protected rivalries. I think maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But first, we do need to talk about Iowa State's 24-21 loss to Texas on Saturday. Uh, man, I think that I'm not like I wasn't disappointed that they lost the game because, frankly, I didn't expect them to win the game going in. I was disappointed in the way that the way that they lost the game. And I think that it's not, I don't know how much I even put it on Iowa state. It just felt like the end of that game was really weird. And it was like, man, I just hate that they lost with a bunch of weird shit at the end. Well, and I think that happens in, if, if each of the last four games just happens in isolation, if Mm -hmm. you win a game and then lose the Baylor game 
and the targeting thing happens in the Baylor game, and then you win a game, and then you lose against Kansas, and the weird field goal things happen. You know, they're they're frustrating parts, but I think they magnify on themselves, you know, where it's like multiplying one and a half times one and a half, where pretty soon you do that, and that becomes a really huge number because there's no break in that to to bring the number back down of kind of frustration and weird shit happening. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing that's probably the, the greatest frustration. Um, I also think, again, just... Speaking of that, that multiplication of this is each one of the last three losses, Iowa State has had the ball with the chance to win the game, and for one reason, or one reason or another, hasn't. This time, this was the was a different way of finding that happened because in Kansas State, it was zero first downs in the fourth quarter, and even though you get the ball in the fifty, you can't advance, you can't get the field goal. This one, the offense was moving. I mean, Texas is a good team. That is the best the offense played. I, I, I mean, against a real opponent. I mean, yeah. obviously better at well, SEMO yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. That doesn't really count. This but. was their best football, like of being transferable of other games. Yeah, and we're gonna know? we're gonna get into that more. But I think on, a, on an overarching general feel, uh, it was a different way. And I think you know, I use the expression. When I was doing so, the, I do the, the show on Channel Five, the Cyhawk Game Day, and I kind of use the expression with Iowa, like how many times can you shoot your foot, or, you know, shoot yourself in the foot before you don't have a foot anymore? Where mm-hmm. they, that's sort of how Iowa State feel. It feels like with Iowa State is that there's so many just little mistakes. The blocked punt, that's what the third blocked punt this year, yeah. and again, again, the defense came out and nothing happened from it. But then you're down in field position and all, everything goes back, but. Then there's the interception in the end zone. There's the the fumble at the very end. Where those things, it's it's not like it's not like any one of those things is like exceptionally wrong. It's just that they're not. There's little mistakes here and there. I think that's the frustration. But then you flip it on the other side. Is Iowa State went down to Austin as a double digit dog for whatever reason. You know that Vegas is looking at that and saying. Lost three in a row. No way they can keep up. And they go toe-to-toe. And that drive goes either way. Doesn't really matter. And they could have won. They had a 50-50 shot of winning that game with six seniors on the field. Can we hear from Matt Campbell? I've got some Matt Campbell audio for you that we can uh, we can play from after the game Saturday. You yeah, go for it. it. Yeah. I couldn't be proud of our team. The guts, the courage. Man, you got freshmen out there playing. You got seniors out there playing. And to be honest with you, I don't know if there's ever been a point in our program that I've been this proud of our football program. So I'll be honest with you, I'm not real concerned. We've got to continue to clean some little things up. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what I see from our kids. I couldn't be prouder of them. I think that you it's hard not to agree with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, the team had a lot of reasons to kind of go into a shell a little bit, I think. Especially, I mean – they, they probably should have been down seven to nothing almost immediately. You're able to hold them to a field goal. They missed the field goal. But then to, you know, to face the adversity where you, you throw the interception in the end zone, had an opportunity to go up 14 to nothing. And, you know, they just kept battling back. Like there were a couple different times during this game where I sat there. I was like, man, I just I don't know if they can overcome that, you know, and uh, you get down 17, seven or whatever it was, 17 or, I can't remember. You're down two scores, and uh, they just kept fighting. I don't know. This is a, this team is tough, but they just are. They're so close, 
But man, they just have these moments where it's like you see how close they are and you see them be really explosive and then they'll drop a pass. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, that's what's holding them back now. And I'm not talking about the play with X at the end, but I'm saying even the drive right before halftime Mm -hmm. where Jalen Noel has two catches that hit him in the hands back to back, you know, and you don't make the play. And then Texas, I think, went down and kicked a field goal or scored or something like that right before halftime. You go into halftime trailing, you know. When you should have probably been up fourteen to seven, yeah. Now you're down fourteen seven. Well, and that's the and that's the thing again. This it feels more frustrating because you're right there. You know, I, how many Iowa State seasons have there been where it's like, oh shit? I mean, we got to watch six more games of this. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's kind of the the feeling that sometimes you have. And I I, I was on one of those teams in 2013. Was as bad as. I, I mean, that's as bad as I can remember watching a season, let alone being a part of a season. But this isn't that. And this is that they're really close to figuring that out. And I think you can take a lot of negatives from that game as kind of point instances. And then also even kind of trends from negative things that, you know, little mistakes like drops, like um, the interception that Decker's threw in the end zone, little things like that that you can say, you know, don't do that. But you can also take a lot of positives thinking that, you know, last year and granted there was a coaching change. Uh, at TCU, not necessarily uh, just a straight up team's getting better. But you look at TCU last year and they were pretty bad. And there was a lot of things that went wrong, but they returned pretty much their whole roster from last year to this year. And now they're the best team in the Big 12. And that difference from last year to this year feels like what Iowa State kind of is primed to do from this year to next year, just because uh, of how much improvement we're seeing from so many different guys and how few really, you know, you have seniors got like Will McDonald and Xavier Hutchinson, which you're absolutely going to miss whenever, you know, next year, whenever they're, when they're not here, you're absolutely going to miss them. But at the same time, they're returning. I think maybe outside of Sean Shaw, I think they're returning every other skill player, right? more or less. I mean, maybe not every single one, but they're returning the vast majority because Jairo Brock is technically a redshirt junior. Deion Silas is a redshirt freshman. Eli Sanders, redshirt freshman. Cartavius Norton, true freshman. Brock or or, uh, Hunter Deckers, redshirt sophomore. Jalen Knoll, true sophomore. You have all these guys that are young players who are learning how to get off the canvas and understand, starting to understand what put them there in the first place. There's a lot of guys, too, in that receiving room that we just haven't even seen yet. That like Greg I, Gaines. That, yeah, Greg Gaines. I mean, Daniel Jackson is someone that for multiple, for several years, they've been talking about how good he's going to be. There's just no time. Like, there's just no playing time for anybody right now that if you're not in that in that position. And that's where that was one of my biggest issues that I think I had with. And, and I got to give Hunter Deckers and this Iowa State offense some credit. They fixed a lot of the things that I think that I was concerned about especially with x i mean they threw him threw him the football a lot still 13 targets you know like i and you got to continue to throw number eight the football especially when he's yeah even when he you he 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 will force himself to be open yes and he was i mean incredible for most of that game on saturday but you see now where this offense or how explosive this offense can be when you're able to get a guy like Jalen Noll involved, who had they targeted him 11 times, six catches, 94 yards, two touchdowns, he's a dynamic player. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my biggest issue. Is when Alan Lazard was getting targeted 15 times a game, nothing against Trevor Ryan, nothing against Marcin Murdoch. They had to get the ball to five. Like it's 
I don't care what's going on. We're throwing the ball to five, you know, right now there's enough good players on this team that it doesn't have to be on every play. We have to throw the football to number eight. If he's open, like, obviously, yes, you want to get the football to number eight, but it doesn't need to be like a force feeding, you know, and there's guys like Jalen Knoll who can step up. Demetri Stanley had a good game the other day, five catches for 44 yards. Deshaun Haneke had three catches for 34 yards. So it's like, that's when you see Iowa State's offense operate at a really high level is when they are starting to spread that football around because they have other guys who can make plays besides Xavier Hutchinson. And do you, I think the thing that I appreciate the most about the the offense. So you know, we every I think every week we've talked about the Caleb Williams effect. Caleb Williams effect. This is the first game after. So it's three games of basically carte blanche. Don't know what you're doing. Then the next three games, you get to see. All right, what's the defense? How, they how, how are they adjusting to me? Yeah. So as, as Hunter Deckers, you can see what are they doing to me that I, that I, where's my blind spot? I don't know what my blind spot is. So someone shows me my blind spot. And that also includes the, the coaching staff because they're the offensive coaching staff is now learning what defenses want to do. And also what is my guy not like, and what is he not good at yet that we don't have? And what did they do on Saturday that was the biggest adjustment is they shortened every read where the thing that he had trouble with. And I, again, I did a, every, most of the games this year, not every single game. A lot of the games this year we've talked about on that Channel 5 show, a whiteboard breakdown of like where where did things actually go wrong? Because there's way more nuance to that two yard crosser than than just Tom Manning saying, hey, throw that two yard crosser. There's mm-hmm. way more to it than that. But the problem that they would run into is that defenses would spin coverage and bring pressure and Deckers would trying to would be trying to read all the way across the field because that's what he did in the first three games because they weren't bringing pressure they were expecting a run offense they were expecting Brees Hall Charlie Kohler they were expecting that so teams came in preparing for this big physical punch you in the mouth style game and then yeah you can sit back there and just pick them apart and you can they're easy reads because defenses when you have Brees Hall you can't just straight up run safeties all around the board because you have to put them in a position where they can play the run. Now they realize that they don't have that running game from last year. Naturally, Brees Hall is gone. So what did they do? They start bringing a lot more pressure. They start twisting. They start blitzing. They start spinning safeties and they make a young quarterback read across the field. So this is the first game post the three games after the Caleb Williams effect. This is game seven of the season. So what did Iowa State do on Saturday is they ran predominantly design bootlegs and RPOs. And there are certain situations where they'd straight up drop them back. But when you're most of your game is like half rolls, again, just design bootlegs or RPOs, it means you're not looking at, okay, is it middle open, middle closed? Is it man across the board? Who, where is, which side am I playing? An RPO is look at the linebacker. If the linebacker plays up to play the run, throw it behind him. If he plays back to cover under Jalen Knoll, give it to the running back. Once that reads happens, maybe there's the second one is, and with, whether you're reading pass first or run first, you look at the defensive end, you look at the linebackers, two guys in the field, that's it. Simplify the read. So it doesn't matter if they start spinning coverage or they run a safety all around. You're looking at two guys in the field and then half boots, it like the, the bootleg stuff, it cuts the field in half. So it doesn't matter if it's middle open or middle closed. It doesn't matter if it's man or zone. It kind of does, but you get like a second and a half for the defense to kind of flesh itself out before your eyes even come up. And then you have probably the most accurate, strongest arm quarterback that Iowa State has probably ever had with Hunter Deckers. So once you simplify the reads and just say, hey, throw it to the look at the safety. If he moves, throw it behind him. If he doesn't run it in front of him, 
And it simplifies all that decision-making. So the stuff that the defenses were doing in Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, even if Texas was doing them, it doesn't matter because he's not trying to read the whole field. And so that's a credit to the offensive staff recognizing what are we bad at? What are my guys not able to do and how do we address that? So that's the thing that I was the most impressed with is that their scheme flipped to mask the deficiencies that they have and highlight the strengths that they have. Let's talk about the final sequence uh, of the game. Like the last five plays, I feel like really boiled down. Iowa State's last five plays, I feel like really boiled down what this game was kind of like. I mean, you had it fourth and two uh, inside your own territory. You get 15 yards on a pass to X. The next play, you try and take the deep shot. X gets open, throws maybe a little bit behind him, you know, and he can't hang on to it as he hits the ground. One of those things where it's like, you know, you probably should be critical of the fact that he didn't catch the ball. But man, I sit there and I'm like, Xavier Hutchins has caught almost 70 passes for Iowa State already this season. He's earned the right to drop a couple. You know, it's mm-hmm. just unfortunate that it had to happen in that moment that it did. Uh, but then, you know, you're still able to get a first down. X gets another catch, 20 yards, gets you deep into Texas territory. And then the play right after that, that ends with. Hunter getting hit, fumbling the ball. My biggest issue with all that is that just no one knew what was happening. It, with the call? Like yeah. The, the yeah. targeting, non-targeting, the yeah. fumble, non-fumble. I think that was... And I think there is a... I... Again, I try and remove myself from emotion as much as I can. And looking at that, that was humans being overwhelmed by the moment. I think the officials in that moment knew the significance of what was happening and kind of started getting uh, pushed outside of the comfort zone of where they were trying to make that play. And you know, like the guy that was signaling first down, first down the other way, the guy looked like he was kind of joyfully bouncing the other way. Yeah, the guy who looked like he'd, uh, he'd been waiting all day to make that call. Yeah, I think the reason why he's doing that is because they recognize the significance of the moment that's saying, I found it, I found it, this is the key, this is the key. Because if that ball truly was out, which it was, and that call wasn't targeting, which it didn't get called targeting, so it's not, then that's the correct, if he had the visual on that, then he's saying, guys, I saw this. It might be outside, and I don't know, the mechanics of spotting a ball. It might be, once the ball's on the ground or it's been determined that it it might be a fumble, it might just be that all officials, and and, uh, feel free to tweet at me on this one if you are an official or know the mechanics on it, but if the ball is or might be out, it might be all hands on deck trying to find, if you have a sight line on who's recovering the ball, and you see it, mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. And then you become the essentially the de facto because if you had a clear sightline on it. But I think despite all of that, with the Hutchinson thing, it's it's disappointing because of how well he played. That is the exclamation point that didn't get written on the end of the sentence. Yeah. Because it was he was dom I mean, that was he was dominant in that game. There was, I think he had two drops, perhaps. Um, but absolutely uncoverable for most of that game. And in the way that I think I'd heard someone say he was Cooper, I think it was uh, uh, Rosenfels on, on the Rosenbloom podcast. I think he called him. He's like Cooper Cup. Where yeah. He's not. He's a he's a, probably a four four guy, which is fast, but not NFL wide receiver fast. He is probably he's six three, which isn't Megatron six five. So he's a big fast guy, but not outstandingly big or outstandingly fast. What makes him great is how competitive he is and how smart he is and how he does everything. And because he was so dominant throughout the game, you want to just have that moment 
Obviously, it helps the team win, but just for that kid individually, that's a Bolitnikov moment. Yeah, you know, because that if that would he would have caught that. That's what a fifty yard pass that would have put him at total yardage being probably in the almost one, almost two almost two hundred yards, yeah. just shy of a touchdown. At that point, they can run the ball. It doesn't really matter because you can kick the field goal to tie it, or you can get in the end zone to win it. Like that's that it's the exclamation point that didn't get written, and that's I think the bigger frustration point of it is that you wanted to see that for him. Now you take that to the other side. Uh, the like not the other side the, the other aspect of that is Xavier Hutchinson himself I guarantee you is not going to make a mistake like that in the future He's he, a, he knew exactly what happened he told us after I me mean, not us I wasn't there but he talked after the game he got asked what happened on the play I mean he described it like hit I catch I had the ball my elbow hit the ground it popped out if I get to my back I catch that ball and we probably win the game and it was like that was one of those things where I was like, damn, okay, like this guy really like understands mm-hmm. what's happening out there and knowing, okay, I got to land on my back catching this one and like things like that, you know, mm-hmm. you want to know how smart Xavier Hutchinson is? That's how smart Xavier Hutchinson is that he can tell in a split moment, if I would have gotten my back, I would have caught the ball. Yeah. You know, and, but that's before he even sees it or like anything like that. And that just is, I mean, he can't be. If there's anybody on this team that should be criticized, it's not. You can't criticize him. Right. Because well, he's just done too much. Well, and I think the other thing, too, and just thinking about, you know, the the play, the situation that Iowa State put themselves in by leaving a game to a call yeah. and getting, you know, getting the targeting, non-targeting, fumble, I, whatever. I have Matt Campbell queued up on that one, too. Okay. But. So let's let's listen to what Campbell has to say on that. Yeah, you know, Randy, obviously nobody knows, and that's the problem, okay? The question is, man, is he down? Man, is it targeting? So um, they said they were only reviewing the targeting. The fact of the matter, it looked like his knee was down, but again, I'm sure it's like anything else. We'll get no clarification on it. That is as that was an epic mic drop oh, right there. That, that is, I'm man. sure it's like anything else, but we'll get that will get no clarity on it. I was like, oh man, there we go. That's that is as mad. That's spicy, Matt Campbell. That's as mad as you're gonna hear. So this it's a, it reminds me of a fun story. So my 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 wife and their family are all like super introverty and they don't really like conflict, but they're very smart and very not necessarily opinionated in a bad way, but like they know what they want. Yeah. And uh, her grandma would always say, "I'll consider it," and she went to a, her. My father-in-law took my, his mother to a doctor's appointment. And doctor suggested something like, you know, you just only have one glass of wine a week or something like that. And she said, I'll consider it. And then walked out of the room. And my father-in-law's response to the doctor, he kind of poked his head back in and goes, that means absolutely not, just so you know. And then just walked out. So that Matt Campbell seems very much like it. that's an I'll consider it moment where in normal person parlance, that is an expletive laden, screw you, I hate this. Yeah. But that's as loud as he's going to get. It's just really funny because I think this is like two or three of the last four weeks. Matt Campbell gets asked about the officials after the game. And like every time he gets more uh, like a little bit more perturbed, you know, uh-huh. where it's like you can tell he wants to say more than what he is. And it's like I'm going to make a st- like the I'm sure it's like anything else. We'll get no clear like no clarity on it. You know, and that tells you right there where his frustration level is with just the officiating generally, because I imagine they've probably sent in a bunch of clips and don't get any clarification on it, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, and that was what my biggest issue was with that, spe- that specific play. I, I mean, I even turn on a game after that and see the things that they're reviewing for targeting, you know, and that that's what, that's just what I don't understand. 
is how every game is different. If it's if, like that's a different crew of officials the other day, that's probably targeting, you know. But the fact that we don't know is what's so annoying about it. Every time it happens, it's like, is that targeting or is that is that not targeting? Well, we don't really know because we don't even know what the rule is, really, you know, or how the rule is supposed to be officiated. And when you see plays like we did a couple weeks ago where Bo Freeler gets kicked out on the fourth play of the game for uh, for targeting, for something that was, I mean, I would say pretty comparable to that play, that's where I... That's why I was pissed after the game. I was mm-hmm. like, I just, I don't understand why I've seen Iowa State have people get kicked out for way less than that, and then they don't even review it. And if they did review it, they didn't even mention that because before they go and say that they're going to go review, they initially called what they initially called that the runner was down. They initially called runners down, but I think it was. A, and Randy Peterson asked uh, the Big Twelve, uh, like the Big Twelve, for clarification on that. Apparently, the real story of what happened is he, the official, spoke on the field that runner was down by contact and then went into the review. But what actually the ruling on the field was, was fumble. Uh, But no one knew that because the words that the head official spoke was runner was down by contact. So then when it goes to get reviewed, they were apparently ruling on targeting, which is what they told coach Campbell. And then when they came back, they say the play stands, which to everyone in the ballpark and watching on TV was I thought that meant Iowa State still had the ball because that's what I didn't understand because then all of a sudden that he had said we're going to review the runners down by contact this plays under further review so I'm like okay they're going to go see if the ball's loose I was like maybe they'll call targeting in that process you know like I don't know I just was like I don't know what is going to be the result here and then they come back and they confirm it and then Texas has the ball and I was like wait but how did they just said the guy was down how does Texas have the football if they if they just confirmed what the play on the call on the field was you yeah. know and that that was where I didn't get because why did he not at that point he had to have known that he said the wrong thing why aren't you going at the monitor wise and somebody saying to him hey you called it wrong and then just take a timeout make go, sure yeah you know to clarify the ruling on yes. the field that is being that is under review is fumble recovered by Texas. We, you know, that is the you know that's what's under review. I think so. To get a like, not to say to get away from the the conversation. I think the the natural response is no one freaking knows. There's yeah. absolutely no one that knows. Which is what's frustrating. Which is what is absolutely frustrating, and that it's. But so now, just thinking, the last thing that I want to necessarily say on the targeting thing is that I think probably the reason why a targeting wasn't called in that situation is the same reason why Aaron Kraft didn't get called for a block in the Iowa State, Ohio State NCAA tournament is because they recognize in that moment, if this gets called, that will determine the outcome of the game, point blank period. And that's that feels like a swallow the whistle moment because as the human beings that are officials, they recognize they're not necessarily trying to inject themselves into the game. So as a borderline call, they, they don't do that. I don't necessarily think that's right. I'm sorry, I don't think that that's the right way to approach things. Right. But. And I also think now structurally the the targeting thing, I would imagine because this is the most Fuhrer, even not just Iowa State fans, although it feels like we've gotten short shrift on this most of the time. It feels like they've, they're they going to have to address this somehow in the way that the NFL went back on their what's a catch, what's not a catch after the Des Bryant thing that that year. And then the uh, Megatron thing is like they took a lot of the the fluff off of it of just saying 
you know, with the reception, the NFL is, do they get one, they get two feet down and do they make a football move and do they complete the process of the catch? You determine that. And they let it be, let it be subjective and a little bit subjective. It define football move. I don't know. Like there's a few things that you could say a football move. But now I think it's at the point where if you want, if you're watching an NFL game and you, you know what a catch looks Ballpark. like. Now. Yeah. 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 It's like, if you were watching, it's like, yeah, okay. Caught it. You right. Know? And because I think they, they tried to get too lawyerly yeah. in defining what this is. And I think the, the, I don't know if they're going to do this. I, I have, I would hope because this feels a lot like the roughing the kicker back in the day before they added running into the kicker as a penalty. And there is then a line between where running into the kicker happens and where roughing the kicker happens. And I think malicious intent. So like a flagrant one, flagrant two in basketball, you can, you know, it's annoying when your favorite team, NBA or college goes up and they go to block a shot from behind. Like they're trying to to run down a shot and they're like, their elbow kind of clips the head of the guy going for a layup, but it's totally in pursuit of the ball. It was an accident by that's where, when you go letter of the law, like the Bo Freiler play, like letter of the law, fine. It's a flagrant one. He didn't mean to, but he hit his head. We're abiding by the rules. But then the flagrant two, like the thing that happened in West Virginia on, I don't remember who was the one that, was it Monte, that got hard fouled by Aaron Harris, maybe, uh, when they were playing in West Virginia. Is that the game when Dustin Hogue kicked the guy? Yeah. And uh, it was like a hard flagrant, I mean, trying trying in looking like blocking a shot, basically punching somebody in the head. I don't remember who who was the one that actually went through that. That's a flagrant two. There's your targeting ejection. So in the ones like there was a a play in the USC game that was called for targeting, which 100% should have been targeting, but wasn't because they were trying to avoid the letter of the law and it just looked bad. And so like there's, you could just bust it into two categories and just give it a flagrant one, flagrant two version or running into the kicker, roughing the kicker. And it feels like that's the way that it potentially happened. But to move beyond what, what should be or what could be in targeting is what are the things you can control? And I think one of the things that Decker's, this was the first game that he has been an active participant in the running game and in the options in the read progression, which is Run one if you know. It, I talked about it with Tom with a couple times with the Tom Herman thing when they had, um, excuse me, when they had they were on the national championship run. They had a backup quarterback that they couldn't he couldn't read the whole field at all because he didn't have enough snaps. So he goes, Cardell might Cardell, be able to make the reads if he would have gone to school. He didn't come to play school. So he went read one, read two, run like it was three reads. And you are involved in that decision making process as an option. If it's not there, take off. And that was this was the first time they kind of felt like they baked that in where even if it was a three yard run, three yard run is better than throwing it, trying to force it to coverage Mm -hmm. or force it to Xavier. And so he was part of the running game. What that naturally necessitates is when you tell a kid that he is part of the running game, he thinks that he now has to be Adrian Martinez and totally be committed to the running game. And that's when you end up in situations like, like if you watch Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow feels like the, the paragon on a mountain for what Deckers would try to be, which is still slings it around probably more than he should. Like you're going to get, you know, this year you're going to get 40 touchdowns out of Joe Burrow, but you're also probably going to get 13 interceptions. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to get more interceptions than you want. And he's also really athletic, but he's not necessarily trying to make too many plays with his feet. And where that came from in the past is trying to make too many plays, going in, f- expecting full contact, and then fumbling or getting hurt or whatever. 
And it feels like what he's learned now, what Burrow has kind of learned now is you can still run, but when you get into a situation where uh, you're approaching a crowd, which is what Deckers was doing. He was approaching a crowd. He kind of got ridden down by somebody is get to the ground, like save the two yards. It doesn't matter. I don't need to fight for every single inch because we're going to come back and I need to be on the field for us to be at our best. And so in that situation in the future, I would imagine he's just going to, even if he can't slide, like you'd see Brock do that every once in a while where he gets down, he gets into a crowd and you kind of just crumple. Like you just turn into one of those little, uh, those McDonald's toys where if you press the button, they're standing up, you release the button. They just kind of every, like the strings relax. That's sort of what he's going to probably end up doing in the future. But this was the first game where you tell a young quarterback, you go run. And now you have to tell him you go run. But when you get into a situation, don't, you know, like it's, it's the natural learning progression of Hunter Deckers. And, in again, it's frustrating to watch. We've said this every single week. It's frustrating to watch because they're so damn close, but it's also exciting for me to watch because you know that if they're this good now, what are they going to be when they actually have some experience under their belt and they can learn from this stupid stuff that's happening over the course of the last few games? This bye week feels like it came at a perfect time. And I, the perfect time you know, would have been like two weeks ago. Well, yeah. I, yeah, maybe last week like would have been a perfect time. Let's get Jairo Brock and Cartavius Norton healthy. I I say that because I and I think I I can't remember if I said that on this pod last week or if it was uh, on something else that I did. I feel like they're just like a couple weeks away from having a game where they come out and you're like, holy cow, mm-hmm. this team is. They figured it out now, you know, and that was kind of where I was. They can't run. They didn't run the ball very well. That was, so I was like the one thing that held them back from feel, from feeling that where it's like, man, okay, I think they figured it out. But you know? wasn't it good? But to they've see, gotten close. But like, wasn't it see? Wasn't it good to see Cartavius Norton in there because that yeah. dude's got a different gear. Yeah, he runs the ball hard, man. The, there was the play. The play where he uh, they gave it to him. I can't remember if it was fourth and short, third and short, something like that. Like third and one, fourth and one, and he got up to the line of scrimmage and plowed over Trevor Downing like he was a little kid. You so know, get out of the way. I got to get this first. Down, yeah, I was which is perfect. I was watching the game with my buddy and he literally said he he's like, man, Cartavius Norton just made Trevor Trevor Downing look like it was bring your kid to work day. <laughs> <laughs> and he on. got, you know, he got the first down, but he had said that and he was like, we were in PlayStation chat or whatever. He was ahead of me on the game. He said that I was like, what he, who like made Charlie or Trevor Downing look like a little kid, you know? And then I saw it. I was like, oh. That's oh, what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So that's what it was. I was like, fair enough. But uh, I mean, and even then, like the defense, you know, you gave up 363 yards of offense. I just felt like they kind of ran out of gas once Texas was able to run the football in the second half. You know, they just looked tired. Well, yes and no. I mean, it was really hot, which that yeah. doesn't help. But I also think that you got to give credit to, you know, opposing offenses. Texas offense is good. They're going to, they got some, they got some players. They're going to make some plays. Yeah. And the one thing that I wish, you know, I, I, another guy who's kicking himself is TJ Tampa. Yeah. I mean, the dude's going head to head against Xavier Worthy most of the time. Now, he doesn't necessarily travel with, you know, Darian Porter, I think, was the other one who gave up the other touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not necessarily traveling with a specific guy. And it's Whittington, number four. Yeah, is the other, yeah Jordan Whittington. Those two are really, I mean, they're probably the two best receivers outside of uh, the, the big tall kid from TCU. What's his name? I forget. Anyway, big tall kid from TCU. Though that guy, Xavier Hutchinson, Xavier Worthy and Whittington are probably the four best receivers in the conference. And you played two of them in one game and you held that offense to 24 points and they have the best running back in the country. Mm -hmm. And you held that offense to 360 yards and 24 points and you were one down away 
from holding them to 17. Because imagine what happens if on that whip route, which Xavier or Xavier Worthy on that whip route, this is like, yeah, I mean, beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Guy's electric. I mean, he's a good player. Now, again, let's just think about if, if they're this good now, what's going to happen in the future? Right. When you have Xavier Worthy, who's probably, I don't, I, th- I think he's eligible for the NFL draft this year, might have to be I one more so. year. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you have that guy who's that good of a route runner. Jesus, he's a sophomore. Gosh. And then you have him going up against TJ Tampa. What film do you think TJ Tampa is going to watch this year in red zone man to man? Yeah. That one. He's going to watch himself on a whip route, get his hips turned and not play. And his, it's just young. Had his inside help too. Had Anthony Johnson right there with him. Right. Yeah. Like it's just, he's going to recognize that I did that wrong. And with the amount of progress you've seen him make from last year to, to the beginning of this year. And then from the beginning of this year to now, they're going to continue to keep improving upon those things. So yeah, like guys are kicking themselves and they, they maybe ran out of gas a little bit, but I still, let's say that Quinn Ewers holds onto that ball just a couple seconds longer. Tampa's able to recover mm-hmm. and, or there's pressure that gets to him, moves him off the spot. And you know, where it's a completely different conversation. We're saying, man, this team finally got it together, but you're like one down away on both sides of the ball. I think also another shout out to Will McLaughlin. Who I was just going to say him. Yeah. He, he stepped in for Colby Reader, and this kid was playing yeah. high school ball last year. And, and Carson Willich both did. And now you're playing. Carson Willich had not played a high school football game or had not played a football game since his junior season of high school. That was his first time he was back on the field. It was in, in two years. In DKR. Yeah. On the road at Texas. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And, and he played really well. Like McLaughlin, that feels like. Uh, a slightly more athletic Mike Rose type feel because he's really long and he generally was generally was in the right spot and is a secure tackler. I knew that guy was going to be really good when I saw they let him wear number 23. I was like, they're not giving that number up to just anybody after the, the last guy who wore 23 for the last four years. Yeah. Like when you had a guy who just wore that number, that's good enough to retire the number, <laughs> you know, and put his name up on the, in, in the stadium somewhere. Like when you got somebody like that and it's like, yeah, we'll give you this number. Iowa State doesn't do that unless they know that somebody is really, really good. Right. You know, and he was I think the thing that he brings is an athleticism to that position where reader is the, a smarter player and is probably physically stronger. It feels like McLaughlin is a little bit more athletic and he's probably going to get himself in bad situations in the future because uh, he hasn't played as much football. So that group with with McLaughlin, Carson Willich, and then even uh Miles, Miles Mendezun is going to be really, really good. They like, need to get this. They're all skinny right yeah, now. They, yeah, they, but man, you want to talk about some guys who can fly around and play in space. Like that tackle that McLaughlin made on Bijan Robinson on a third down where they swung it out to him, like right at the end of the first quarter, it was, it was a one-on-one tackle on Bijan Robinson. I was like, oh, okay. Like, so this guy showed up, you know? And then that man, that roughing the passer penalty, was so bogus, dude. Like, it's the same thing. Like, you're anticipating something happening. You right. throw a flag, you know. The guy was still throwing the ball, and he's hitting him. It's just stupid. Like, I don't know the whole landing on him and all that stuff. Like, I don't even think that's a thing in college, and they distinguished it, you know. That's one of my big issues with football is that the rules are so different across every level that I'm not sure the officials can even hardly keep them straight sometimes. So well, I'm not sure. Well, I guess, you know, I, I, I want to give credit to someone for having – a level of expertise that I don't have. And I think there, there's obviously more people that understand officiating better than I do. And I would hope that the officials actually officiating the game 
have a clarity and an understanding of what's going on and just made a mistake. It's, it's, they know what it is, but they just made a mistake on that, yeah. which, which happens, you know, there's, there are mistakes are there and you want them to not happen, but that does count as a turnover. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that was a third down. Yeah, and, it's a crucial point in the game. And if that play goes as a not as an incomplete pass, which is what it did, then that would be a punt. Iowa State gets the ball back. Who knows what happens from there? So that counts sort of like a turnover. But at the same time, they dodged a bullet earlier with Texas missing a kick after they themselves turned it over. Right. So it's hard to say that these the, any specific play. You know, the targeting non targeting thing. Uh, that may have deter- that would have determined the game in a different direction had that been called. But you want to say that these that most people know what they're talking about and what they're doing. And I try to defer to the fact that they there's some justification for it, even though I might not understand it and might not agree with it. Well, and there's some level of human error, like in any sport, you know, as long as we have officials or officiate sports the way that we do, there's going to be a level of human error. My issue with it, and I think that this is something the NFL should even look at is like when you call these personal fouls and they're 15 yard penalties that that's so impactful on a drive a 15 yard penalty Mm -hmm. it's like completing a it's a big pass it's an explosive play play. yeah and what drives me crazy about that is like 15 yard penalty that gives somebody a first down especially deep inside already in the opposing team's territory I mean you're basically setting them up for a touchdown you know and it's like if you know the call is wrong I think the perfect example was last week the Chris Jones play where he he takes the ball from Derek Carr. How do you expect him to brace himself on a hit when he just took the ball from the guy? Mm-hmm. You know, that should be able to be reviewed in my mind. If mm-hmm. you if you make a play, a call like that on the field, if Kansas City wants to challenge it, they should be able to. It's hard. You, you, th- it's a slippery slope, I it think. Is, but, yeah. it, but it's where I think if they throw a flag for a personal foul. If because Kansas it's such a, so yeah, impactful. Because it's so impactful. If Kansas City disagrees or whoever it is disagrees with that, they have the option to challenge it and they can go and review it and they can look at it more. Then you can slow it down. You can see, okay, no. Now we see what happened. Kansas City football. Yeah. You know? And that just is because I, I think when you have so many of these rules that are getting called so much more frequently, it seems I don't know if I've ever seen so many personal fouls called in football games than I have this year, you know, between targeting, roughing the passer. Uh, and you know whatever chop else, blocks, chop like blocks, was the Iowa, Michigan yeah, game. chop blocks, like things like that. That those are becoming much more impactful plays than just like a false start or a holding or something like that. You shouldn't like. I'm not saying you should review every flag, but I think that they're when you call, th- like throw a personal foul, you're opening the door for it to be potentially reviewed. You know. Yeah, and it's uh, I I you know listening to Bruns and listening to Chris and Brent talking about where the officials get sourced from. Uh, for the Big 12, you also I also try again and try have a bit of understanding that these guys are also new. It's just that when it's when there's so much on the line, it's hard for the neutral third party to be bad when the, and they are going. I mean, fast forward five years, if if the Big 12 retains all of these crews exactly as they are and allows them to get five years experience from five years from now, these crews are going to be substantially better than they are right now. They're going to be better executing, understanding what to look for. Their keys are going to be better of where their eyes should be. Their access to the mental rule book that they've got. They're going to get get better, but right now they are also relatively new and young crews. Again, it's just disappointing. It's not disappointing. It's frustrating that the, the, the judicial system of football 
is bad. Yeah. And you kind of want that with sports to be kind of a paragon of fairness. And it doesn't feel like that's being applied fairly. It feels like it's being applied randomly. Yes. And that's where, and the fact that it was that team that they were playing against, and you've been going through the three-hour knob slob of Robert Griffin III and Quint Kesnick and all those guys on that broadcast. I mean, come on, man. And I normally Robert Griffin the third, bro. I normally like that crew. Oh my goodness. Robert Griffin the third, dude. This guy played in the Big 12 against Texas for another school from Texas. And was out there like wearing a Texas shirt and like doing standing down there with Bevo and like all this stuff. And I'm I'm just sitting there, I'm like, come on, man. Like, how are you? How do you sell your soul like that? You know, so I, uh, I, I would feel so dirty doing those things if I was like, if you're Robert Griffin, the third man, don't play into that shit. Like, come on, dude. So I, um, I was thinking about this. So I do color for Drake yeah. and I would also, I mean, magic wand, give me the capacity to be Kirk Herbstreit. I'd love it. So if anybody has any connections inside of Fox Sports, CBS, ESPN, let them know. I'm interested. Uh, shameless plug for myself. But at the same time, in doing some type of color for a game, I was kind of like, why because I, I normally like that that broadcast crew. I, I usually do. I think it's Mark. Is it Dave? Not Davis. Mark. Uh, Mark Jones. Mark Jones. Mark Jones and RG three. I who, like I, who was calling Matt Campbell Matt Wells for the first half of the game. That one he also apologized he for. Did, he yeah, ate he it did, and yeah, said, "My yeah, bad." Yeah. Um. But I normally like that crew, but I didn't like them for this game, and I'm trying to determine the reason why I normally because I probably not they probably didn't do anything substantially different on this broadcast than they did on other ones. And I was thinking about it. Normally what they're calling, that's like ESPN's fifth or sixth best crew. And there is like a power ranking of your top crew. You know, like with Fox, it's Gus Johnson and Joel Clapp. That's their For ESPN, best. ESPN, it's uh, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit. Right. And they're going to the best games. And then number two is, I think, Blackledge. And number three, I forget. Yeah, it's, what, it's, uh, it's uh, Tess and Blackledge. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. And so I don't remember the exact order of where yeah. they are, but they're... They send their best crews to whatever. So they, this RG3 and Mark Jones are, are somewhere in the five to seven range of their best crews. And so normally they're getting a game Syracuse versus Virginia Tech or something like that. that yeah, I is, think they did a couple of Michigan. They did that one Michigan game because I know they said that was when Robert Griffin III said the orgy in the end zone thing. Interesting. Did you hear that? Nope. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but they're normally getting a game that's sort of a, a, a sort of dud. Yeah. And this game... It was a 16 and a half point betting spread to a team that lost Iowa State who had lost three in a row in Texas, who. So when you're if you're an executive looking at that game or you're a person looking at that game, you see that Texas is the story and likely you're going to prepare for Texas to be the story. But the thing I was thinking of is, why did I like them before? Why did I like them in other games and not this one? It's that the game didn't feel like it was treated with respect in that when you're calling Coastal Carolina versus Old Dominion. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, most of the people watching that game are going to be Old Dominion and Coastal Carolina fans. And then you're going to get a couple people that are like, I mean, just degenerates, degenerates like you and me that are going to be watching at 845 at night, some random ESPN two broadcast or ESPN U broadcast. You're going to be watching people. And so you don't necessarily that game isn't going to be as impactful to the rest of the country as it is to you. And yes, you can make a couple jokes. And I'm sure that if it's Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion that are they're calling that game for, they might be a little bit like, ah, come on, quit quit, quit with the puns or whatever. The Bijan Dijon that I wore me out to no end. But in the lower games, you can make it more fun. And that's what makes people interested in a game when they're not normally interested in the game. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine if that broadcast crew in that way was calling the Iron Bowl 
right. or was calling uh, Alabama, Tennessee, or was calling Ohio State, Michigan, or yes. was calling the Big 12 championship. It's because the game on the field didn't feel like it was treated with the same respect as what you should treat a game with respect. So my thought is when you're calling those games, you have to respect the product on the field. So yes, you can ha- go in with all this Texas stuff because your initial, it's a 16 and a half point dog. Iowa State yeah. had lost three Treated it like games. the game didn't matter. Right. It's and, about Texas. And when yeah. that game goes on, if Texas goes up 14 to zero, that's how the broadcast should go. Because if you, if let's say Texas is up 35 to zero, are you sticking around to watch that game? No, no, you're leaving. But who's sticking around to watch that game? Texas people. Texas fans. Yeah. So that's how the game was expected to go is it's supposed to be a Texas blowout. But at a certain point, you recognize the game is not a blowout and you got to pivot and you have to say, okay, this game isn't a blowout. We have to respect this game as a good game. And it, it never, it, it felt like they didn't motion. They didn't move over to that zone, which is where it should be. And, and it was, it's like, even at the beginning of the second half, you're sitting there and it's Texas's offense has been horrible basically is the crux of everything you know like Robert Griffin III's analysis is like man this Texas offense just isn't playing well but there's no discussion of the Iowa State defense right or the Iowa State defense could be potentially the reason that I that Texas I mean the best defense def- the best defense in the big 12 one of the top 10 defenses in the country is perhaps yes. perhaps causing this to be the other way and that's what drove me crazy about it is it's like they're not watching the game they're not or they're not there to actually analyze what's happening in the game they're there to Talk about Texas. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. That's just annoying. And that to me is that is the it's the broadcast equivalent of a coach not adjusting on the field yes. is you come in with a game plan and damn it, we're going to run the ball. And then they put nine in the box and you're still trying to run the ball. You have to adjust when this game was the the commentary equivalent of Brian Ferentz's offense. Exactly. It was we're doing this regardless, no matter how unsuccessful it might be. And so I, I think that's my biggest gripe with it is I usually like that crew and it, it's kind of corny and there's puns everywhere and there's they're meant to be jokes and stuff. But when and even if you're calling you know Michigan Rutgers or whatever it was and, and Michigan's up by 47 points, make the jokes because no one cares. No mm-hmm. one's no one who is a de- like this game doesn't matter at that point, because if they win by 20 or win by four it's still going to be a win for Michigan or if they win by 50 or win by 30, it doesn't matter. Right. But once the game is close, you have to respect the game in that particular match that is going on. And it never felt like that happened. And I, w- I was also thinking about this and related to a broadcast thing because we are all colored. It's literally that we're doing a podcast on Cyclone Fanatic. You're a Cyclone fan. There is maybe 1% of the population that's just kind of a s- sadistic hate listener. But it's Andrew the, Downs. He, I know he always listens. He, hey, he's not a cyclone. What's up, AD? Yeah, he's a cyclone. We sympathizer. love you, AD. Sympathizer, yeah. not a fan. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. He's a he's a cyclone adjacent. <laughs> but love you, AD. We all we all are looking through this with a with obviously with a, a tinted lens, no matter how much you take it off. Yeah. What I would really like, and I don't know the logistics on how this could work, but if somebody is sick enough to do this. If you have two, st- if you could watch a game or rewatch a game with two stopwatches in your hands, well, it'd really be three time parameters. One would be describing the game. One would be when they're filling content outside of the game with team A, and one would be filling the time with content about team B. So there's three, it's talking about the game, tackled by Jones, four yard run by Smith, and like mm-hmm. that, like what is happening? Click, stopwatch, click. In between plays, now let's look at what's happened. Hey, let's go analyze the Texas defense or let's go talk about the Iowa State offense. And I feel like that that's subjective to every every particular broadcast, because, again, if it's 47 to zero Michigan over 
uh, Central Michigan School of the Technical Arts, if it's that, you should it should be 99 to 1 on Michigan to that because that's who's yeah. going to be there. Yeah. But as the game gets closer, the point differential, the smaller the point differential, the same time differential should exist in talking about each program. And I think that was where I, I, it felt like Texas was talked about a substantial amount more because it probably was. But I would love to see what an objective analysis of how much time is spent on each broadcast. So me doing games myself, that's a thing that just watching that and learning from them do it. Why did that piss everybody off is because it wasn't respectful and it wasn't balanced even in a remote sense. Well, and that's where it was just proof of how out of touch I think. ESPN is with the reality of why people watch college football. They treated the game like people watch the game because of Texas, which I don't think is true. Well, I don't think that it's necessary. I don't even know if I don't want to blame like big ESPN for this. Uh, okay, one. not blame big ESPN. I'm blaming the general mindset of how right. they cover college football. Right. And I think that, yeah, that is true. And I, 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 uh, I respect those, you know, like a, like a, Pat McAfee, like, I mean, Herb Street, like the guys that are really good, they generally don't favor one side or the other, but there is a natural narrative because again, think about it outside of the lens of Iowa State. Who's tuning into that game to watch Iowa State? Some people probably, mm -hmm. but uh, Iowa State is three and they're a three and three team to the outside world. They're a three and three team that's lost three in a row. They're going to play DKR. Texas just beat the shit out of Oklahoma. What are they going to do? They're probably tuning into Texas. So that probably is the thing that most viewers that aren't Texas or aren't Iowa State fans, that's probably the audience that's coming in. But then when the game doesn't go that way, you have to change. You have to say, you know, this Texas offense isn't working. But you know why? Let's actually, you know, the stats department in the truck or whatever, or someone that's working behind the scenes goes, ah, this is, let's pull up the, the Iowa State defensive statistics because this is doing really well. So I don't know. It felt just more like a, a one-off mis-execution of it because the game plan coming in, if you're, if you're a national, if you're showing that game nationally on big five, you know, on channel five, big ABC, most people are probably watching that because they, Texas just beat the shit out of Oklahoma. Are they for real? All I know is if I was a Baylor fan and I saw Robert Griffin, the third down there throwing the hook em horns, I'd throw up. I, yes. Made me want to throw up. I'm not even a Baylor fan. It's like, it's you, di that's disrespectful. You were one of us. This is disrespectful, bro. You were one you're of one us. of like, yeah, exactly. Like Robert, you're like one of a, you're one of the, of the, uh, of the turned down, you know, of the overlooked. You're not, you're not one of them. Don't act like one of them. You're like, you are one of the OGs of this, of like the new age big 12. Don't play into this shit. You know, that's like, that to me was just like where I was like, have some self-respect, Robert, because you know you don't believe this stuff. You know, you're just down there reading the script. Don't don't read their script. Come on, man. Yeah, and he's normally actually really good. Yeah, I, and that's what I was gonna say. I like, normally, he, I normally he really like does him give good analysis. I, and even during the game, like there were some times he broke down some plays and stuff like that, where I'm like, man, Robert Griffin, like actually is pretty good at this. You mm -hmm. know, there's a reason they paid him a lot of money to mm -hmm. go and work for ESPN and stop trying to be a football player. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. It was just the combination. I understood why people were frustrated after the game when you combine that with the way the game ended and you sit there and the team that they're playing and you combine all of those things and you're like, here, we it happened again, mm -hmm. you know, and you've been in that game, you know, playing against that team, how that goes. Mm -hmm. Here we go again. It happened again. That's what I, I told it. Like I did the instant reaction with Chris and I said, I was like, 
what the hell, man? Why does this keep happening with this school? Why does this keep happening? Yeah. And it just, everyone hates them. Everyone in college football hates them. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, if I had, if I was calling that game, that you probably do have to come in with a fair amount of preparation on Texas because there, if you think about it, like we have been watching every single Iowa state game all year, mm-hmm. they probably are going to watch two or three games of film, see that it's a pretty good team, but they're also zero and three in the last, you know, they're own three in the conference. You, you come in with Texas material, but you know, like I said, you try and be fair at, at the same point, but I think calling that game, you got to recognize the casual fan. I mean, similar to Alabama, the whole world is rooting for Tennessee mm-hmm. in that game. And you got to, you can't slant it so far in one profitable direction because that's that's where most of the attention comes from. It's what is that attention about? So you kind of got to call, you still have to call it neutral because your people hate watch Texas and they hate watch Alabama and yeah. they hate watch Ohio State. Dude, it's actually funny. It reminded me of a moment in that Alabama-Tennessee game. It was one of the last times Tennessee scored, like one of their last long touchdown passes. Uh, Brad Nessler's like... It, hooker drops back to pass he's got high at deep and then there's just silence like they just didn't say anything for the next couple minutes and i was there i was like man like brad nessler never even said touchdown like he didn't say anything they're the best they just like sat there and watched you know and i was like i don't know if it's good that they didn't say anything or if it's bad they didn't say anything i was like but i mean it was different you know and it's cool they're they're they let the moment breathe they're the best and yeah just now we're talking we're getting the ins and outs of yeah, uh, they let the mechanics. moment breathe, like in that, and that's especially the, in that place at that time. The, that is the number one thing that when you watch a broadcast and you think about it, like from the actual X's and O's of it. And Brent, um, Brent was one of the, Brent and Andy Garman of people that have kind of given me little bits of advice on doing that is never stomp on a moment, and especially with television, with John Walters and Eric Heft, they that you can get crowd noise when mm-hmm. that's going on, but John has to tell you what's happening. What's happening, and yeah. you know, touchdown, Jalen Knoll. Three seconds pause for crowd. There was a slant pass, and he has to tell you how it happened because he yeah. has to paint that picture in your brain. But on TV, like especially if you have good a good producer, which CBS, it, I, the 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 SEC on CBS, one of the reasons why people think the SEC is the best conference is because that is by far the best college broadcast. That one, and then the Herb Street Fowler booth is really good, and like the top one or two at Fox and top one or two at ESPN, those are really good, but I really like the CBS one, uh, just like the whole production. I think that's one it. problem that a lot of people have with Gus is that he does not. He does not let the moment breathe. He, he does it more than you think. He's gotten, Yeah, he he's, does. He's he, calmed down a lot more, and I wonder if that's because Joel Klatt, like Joel might, I've been in, in booths like this where literally one person will, like I called a game with Andy Garmin one time, like one of the first few times at an MC22 game, and he literally like put his hand on my chest, as the thing happened to say like, shut up is let this happen. Yeah. So it was, yeah. Just thinking of, you know, the difference between the Tennessee Alabama game and how little general topic was talked about because they let the moment happen. And then again, when you have a good production truck, a good uh, general producers and camera people that the story is, you know, pan up to the crowd and you show fan reactions and you go to coach Saban and he's, God, he's red faced and he's screaming at one of his assistant coaches. That's the story. And you can see it. You, you, you know, if you have, if you have that on mute, you know exactly what happened. You don't need to hear Brad Nessler talk about it. What an incredible atmosphere that was, dude. Holy cow. I mean, that was a bucket list type of environment to want to be in at Neyland stadium. Oh yeah. And, and a shout out to the man, 
former Iowa State tight ends coach Alex Golish. That was pretty cool. They, they talked about him a lot on that game, you know, and you could tell he's getting a lot of credit for the success that they're having down there at Tennessee. And, uh, man, that offense is good, dude. Mm-hmm. That The thing, like, I was sitting there watching. I was talking to my roommate. I was like, dude, I just can't believe how many more long passes there are in the SEC compared to every other league. And I think there, there's probably a couple different reasons. One, the receivers are all really fast, you know, so, like, that plays a role. But it's just like it's like every SEC game you watch. There's at least one or two plays where someone's catching a pass for sixty yards. Well, and I you think know? one of the things that's well, that's true. There's a natural. There's I feel like there's a natural talent difference between your Ohio State's, Alabama's, Georgia's, and most of the rest of the team because they are you're getting bigger, stronger, faster people. But it's not. It's in degree and not kind. They're not getting like an actual like lion to play defensive end. They're just getting a slightly bigger person and. Tennessee or whomever else, Iowa State, you're getting players that are, and you're developing them into that. You just don't have as many as those other teams do. And one of the things that I think Oklahoma and Texas have lost the luster of is there's some, some, oh shit, here we go again, Mm -hmm. that a lot of times happens when you're playing teams that are naturally more physically athletic than you are, but they're not necessarily better teams. And the cool thing that it doesn't feel like, you know, there are certain coaches like Kirby Smart and Jimbo and now Josh Heupel at Tennessee. It feels like those coaches and their teams don't have that. Well, there's one big pass play. Here goes Alabama again. And just there's no doubt in the back of their minds. So they're kind of standing toe to toe with Tyson. You know, they're, they are Buster Douglas. They're yeah. getting in the ring and going, I don't care. I'm here and we're we're going the same way. We're playing the same game. And that felt like. You know, A&M almost beat Alabama. Texas almost beat Alabama. Tennessee did beat Alabama. And yes, Alabama is more talented than every team they play, except for maybe Georgia. But when you stand there and you don't let the A on the helmet give you number on the helmet, the number on the helmet, you don't let them get five extra points because of that, that you can go toe to toe with them. And you can find when you're watching film. You can find like that safety bites hard on this. We're going to throw right behind him every single time. Well, and then Nick Saban came out and said that as they're going out on the field, he was talking about how his t- the team usually chants. And as they were going out on Saturday, day, they weren't chanting. And someone the team asked, being Alabama or Will, the team being? Yeah, to be in Alabama. And so if someone asked Will Anderson about that and he said it just he like we didn't have that same. So I think everybody was nervous. Mm-hmm. And that told me right then I was like, OK, I think even Alabama knows that they're not on that level that people are scared of them, you know, like Tennessee just went toe to toe with them, ran the football on them, like did everything, you know? And yeah, I mean, it was, what was the final score? Like 49 to 42, 52 to 49. Yeah. It was, I think it was the highest scoring, one of the highest scoring sec games like of all time, you know? And I just, I, I was blown away. I mean, I was blown away by how good Tennessee was. That, that team is really fun. Uh, that's like America's team, I yeah. think, at this point, or at least they should be. And I th- so just generally, I, this is one thing that I was reading in, you know, Brett McMurphy, who have, puts out what the Action Network puts out as like bowl projections. Yeah. And said, you know, are there perhaps three SEC teams that make it in? No, there's not. There's no, no way. I mean, people would absolutely and that's the reason why the bcs doesn't exist anymore it's because two sec teams made it in you have 100 percent of all of the football programs in the country and you pick those two uh yes tennessee georgia and alabama are in the top 10 for sure but i think they have valued uh unless you are an undefeated team that loses in the, the conference championship 
that if you so let's say the only way that would happen, I think that is is if Tennessee beats Georgia in a couple weeks, they uh, they have to go to Athens and and beat Georgia. Then they would have to lose to Alabama in the championship game, and Georgia will have had to have looked dominant, which Georgia has not looked dominant for a lot of the season mm-hmm. to this point. So it's like it would have to be where Georgia and has been ridiculous, Alabama has been ridiculous since this week, and wins the SEC title, and Tennessee has still been killing people. And you and can also argue, game to and Alabama. you can also argue that I think Kansas State and TCU are the only chances that, and I mean maybe Oklahoma State as well if they end up running out are the only chances that the Big 12 has, but uh, you have, you're, you're going to tell me that Tennessee, Ohio State, and Georgia are all better than Ohio State, Michigan, the best team in the Big 12. You put them on the field, and they're going to... USC? US, well, USC yeah. lost to Utah, uh, yeah, which is clo- a close yeah. game, but again, if they, you, they're better than USC, or you know, that that's, I think, the conversation has to have, but I think just thinking of just another leapfrog points i'm really excited for the playoff to expand not because it's going to benefit it it might benefit the sec a little bit but i think the thing that's actually going to be better is it's going to be more dilutive because if you're if you're a five-star defensive lineman and you want to go win a national championship you have basically three choices you have or four choices you have ohio state georgia alabama clemson Mm -hmm. those are four places you're going to go because you know that they have the best shot at going to the playoff and you're going to have the best players around you there's still going to be an advantage. Georgia, Alabama, they're they're still going to get the best, probably the best players. But if you're a five-star and you want to go to a team, you could go to Cincinnati. If you're from Ohio, you can go to Cincinnati because you might have to go to Ohio State and sit two years, but you can be a five-star, go to Cincinnati, win the Big 12, get in the playoff right now. And it's going to be, over the course of time, the talent, uh, locus of talent isn't going to be located in four places because they are the only ones that are getting to the playoff it should spread itself out more to the rest of the programs that are likely to get in there. So you might have two or three Big 12 teams that start to rise to the top and two or three Pac-12 teams, if whatever the Pac-12 becomes. Yeah. The SEC is going to have six or seven teams that are usually in there. The Big 10 is going to have four or five teams that are usually in there. But the, it's going to be a more diluted, in a good way, spread out talent pool. I think that, Al, I mean, Alabama will probably be back in the national championship game like, they're still Alabama, but this is the least intimidating Alabama team I think that I've seen Saban have in quite some time. I mean, the two games that I've watched them really close, they've had more than 15 penalties. And I think if you look at just outside of Alabama, it's undisciplined team. It's 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 it relies a lot on Bryce Young mm-hmm. doing Bryce Young things. Yeah, and, which when, is, and we saw it last week when he's banged up, that team's not it's very not, good. It's not sustainable. Yeah, and then you have Georgia, who has I mean they they kick the shit out of Vanderbilt, but that doesn't count. They've been, they've been pushed mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, they're Missouri, not, have Missouri had them on the ropes. They're not super dominant. Alabama's not super dominant. Ohio State hasn't played anybody. They've played... Well, here, come on, man. Big week, big one this week. 28, 28 and a half favorite on Iowa. Jeez, dude. That yeah. should have been the biggest spread that Iowa's faced in. Well, a, a Hawkeye buddy of mine texted me the last time they... The last two times they've gotten beat or been uh, 28 and a half... Or have been beat by more than 28 points were... Michigan last year in the Big Ten Championship, and then Stanford was the only, the last two times that they've been beat wow. by 28 or more. Um, but anyway, Ohio State hasn't played anybody. They might still be really good. I don't, but they, I don't feel like they've proven it. And Michigan, they're they're good, but how good are we? Don't know how mm-hmm. good. And there's not. It doesn't feel like there is. Those two teams are and, just on and, collision course. And Clemson, 
is not to me Clemson is not this guaranteed playoff team they're gonna at some point screw up because they are not near consistent enough they've lost that I think I told you this after week one I think I think they've lost that edge of being they're not recruiting at the same level in the trenches that they were before Georgia got really good I, I can almost guarantee you if we went back like seven years Clemson probably killed it in Atlanta and got every kid out of Atlanta and I bet they don't get any anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you can see that play out where like their teams are just not dominant up front like what they were mm-hmm. when they were really, really good. Yeah. So, but it doesn't feel like there is, you know, I, I'm excited for the back half of the season because there's going to be more crazy shit that happens. Yeah. It's just going to be wild. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We, uh, we appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back next week uh, to talk about Oklahoma and everything that happens during Iowa State's bye week. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.